All right, take your Bibles tonight and go to 1 Samuel chapter number 19. 1 Samuel and chapter number 19 as we get back into our study here. Of 1 Samuel. <clears throat> when a nation needs revival, not everybody's excited about revival, that's for sure. Uh, Saul was not. He felt very threatened by David and we'll continue seeing just some bizarre behavior uh, from King Saul, to say the least, but we'll also see some wise um, behavior by David. And so maybe sometimes in life you have somebody that just seems to have it out for you. Ever have that? Just seems like you just like anything you do, they're ready to, to knock you down about that. And that's certainly how Saul was towards David. Let's read here in verse number one, where the word of God says, and Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Isn't this astounding? That here, here was David who had wrought such a victory against Goliath. And yet Saul says um, in the secret meeting of his cabinet, we've got to take him out. We've got to get rid of him. Verse two, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see that I will tell thee. Verse number four, and Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul, his father, and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. Uh, this is a bold speech by Jonathan, by the way. I'm sure Saul had his javelin somewhere handy. And yet here's Jonathan going to bat for his, his friend. He says, and because his works have been to thee, to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and notice this. He's reminding his dad, dad, thou sawest it, you, you saw this and did rejoice and did us rejoice. You were glad about this. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Notice this verse six. This is amazing. And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan and Saul swear as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. He had a few good moments, didn't he? Saul did. He had a few good moments. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought it with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and, what does it say? Escape. Four times it uses the, the verb here, escape. So David escaped that night. So also, I'm in verse 11 now, so also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. So much for that, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain thing, right? He got over that in a hurry, didn't he? And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, 
If thou shalt not save thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. Made it look like David was laying there in the bed. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said he tested positive for COVID. And so, anyway, <laughs> he's sick. I'm, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have went there. Anyways, verse 15. Just want to make sure you're still paying attention here, all right? That's good. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed then. I mean, bring him up to me in the bed. I don't care if he's sick or not. I mean, it's not right to kill somebody when they're sick, right? <laughs> he didn't care that I may slay him, verse 15, verse 16. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy? Isn't that, isn't that a shame? He calls his own son-in-law his, his enemy. That he is escaped. And Michael answered Saul, now she lies in the latter part of verse number 17. He said unto me, let me go. Why should I kill thee, dad? That's what he said to me. So David fled and escaped. Can we keep reading verse 18? We, we doing okay? All right. So it says that David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. They got into the preaching. This is awesome. Verse 21, and it was told Saul, when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. <laughs> and he thought, you know, if you want anything done, you got to do it yourself. So he goes down there. It says in verse 22, then he went he to Ramah and came to a great well that was at uh, Siku and asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah. Notice this. <laughs> this is awesome. If anybody thinks the Bible is boring, you haven't read it right here, right? Okay. So he's on his way and he went on. And as he went on, I mean, he hadn't even got there yet. He went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in, in Ramah. And then notice this, verse 24, it gets even more bizarre. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all day and all, all that night. Saul did. Wherefore, they say, is Saul also enrolled in Bible college? <laughs> That's basically what they're saying. Is he also among the prophets? What in the world is going on? Well, here's a sermon title tonight. Protected by a greater king. Amen. Protected by a greater king. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated.
We'll consider this unique passage. I've read this account a couple of times and I, I've tried to verify if it's so or not. If, if it is, it's great. If not, it makes a great sermon illustration. During World War II, there was a unit, U.S. Marine that had been separated from his unit while in the Pacific. And he lost touch with his comrades. And so he found his way up on a ridge into one of the small cavern areas there and and he just anticipated that the enemy was going to come at any time. But he began to pray, God, if it be your will, would you protect me? And whatever your will is, though, I love you and I trust you. And he lay there and he's listening to the enemy making their way through the jungle. And, and they're getting closer and closer, you know, to where he's, where he's hunkered down. And, and he just, it came to his mind, I guess, I guess God's not going to protect me. I guess he's not going to deliver me. And then he saw a spider that was working on a web. And he thought, isn't this amazing? I needed a brick wall to hide me and God sent a spider to make a web. Well, as the enemy got closer and closer, he just thought that that was the end. But then he saw as one soldier got very close and he looked at the cave's entrance and then he just turned and walked away. And then he realized what happened is that the soldier thought that the cave looked as though it had been unoccupied or not entered into because the spider web had been there. And obviously nobody had been there. And then the man said this, he said, Lord, forgive me. I had forgotten that in you, a spider's web is stronger than a brick wall. Now, I don't know if that's a true account or not, but again, I do know this. However God chooses to, he's able to deliver. He's able to protect. Because the means is not so much as important as it is the source, because God is able to deliver. It sure seemed like that over and over, David's life was, was done. I mean, he'd already dodged two javelins. He'd already uh, been commissioned, you know, to fight against the Philistines. And Saul thought for sure that that would take him out. But instead of killing just 100 Philistines, he killed 200. And God spared his life over and over and over again. And that's exactly what's going on. I mean, really, the, the whole big idea of this chapter is, is that God just over and over spared David's life, protected David's life. He's able to protect us. You know, I, I, um, I agree, Brother Sam, he, he preached this passage and I listened to the, uh, to the message and he said, you know, on, on Saul's side of things, this thing would read just like a tabloid. I mean, really, when you think about it, uh, and he mentioned a few titles, I thought of, I thought of a couple, something like this, Israel, Israel's king vows to kill his son-in-law. I mean, couldn't you just see that checking out at the grocery store? Israel's king vows to kill his son-in-law. David barely escapes Saul's javelin for the third time. The king's daughter deceives her own father using a family idol. Or maybe this one. King Saul joins opening day preaching at Ramah's School of Prophets. <laughs> Preaches a record 24-hour sermon. <laughs> day and night. I mean, this is crazy stuff. You know, one thing I want to point out to you along the way is that sin will make your life read like a tabloid. But the worst thing about it is that it's true. There's two sides to this. And, 
And, and really, we could, we could focus attention on both sides of it equally, or we could take a whole sermon and focus on Saul and his bizarre behavior, or we could take a whole, whole sermon to focus on David's. But I, I thought just maybe to, I, I realize it's a lot of verses, a lot to cover, but I thought maybe just to cover it all together as a unit, because it certainly is a unit, and just simply to see this, God's protection of David. Even though Saul was, was out to, to remove him from the scene. And, and I, I, wanna, I want to remind everyone here tonight that there's an enemy that you and I have whose days are numbered. And, and just like Saul's days were numbered, then we have an enemy that really wants to take and remove your effectiveness, remove even your life. He seeks to destroy. He's a lion that seeks to devour. I'm speaking of none other than Satan and how he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your testimony, wants to destroy your home. And, and so thank God, though, that we've got a king that's greater than him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As, uh, as Saul mentioned his plan to, to his cabinet, to his son and others, uh, Jonathan said, listen, Dad, can I, can I talk to you? And it's amazing to me that, that Saul listened to, Dad, to Jonathan rather as he explained, Dad, listen, uh, David has only done you well. He's only sought to do you good. He's, he's been very good towards you. And, and you remember out there on that battlefield how that he took his place and really took his life into his hands and God wrought a great victory. And, and even that day... Uh, Father, if you remember, then we all rejoice and you were among those that were rejoicing. I mean, I can just imagine the Israelites now high-fiving one another, you know, just rejoicing that, that their enemy, Goliath, had been defeated. And, and so Jonathan recalls that before his father. And, 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 you know, the amazing thing here is even more this, that, that Saul recognized it and he said, you know, son, you're right. Now, and, and things really got back to normal. Now, let, me, let me ask you here before we move on, how do you want to live your Christian life? How do you want to live your Christian life? Because Saul, Saul lived a very disturbed, troubled life. Let me agree with that. I mean, as you read this account, this man is troubled. This man is, is disturbed. This man has a troubled soul. It's like this. He had a troubled life, but moments of peace. But for the Christian, here's how it really is. We have a life of peace with moments of trouble. I mean, it, it, there's no question here. There are, there are moments of trouble. But here is a man in power, and here's a man named Saul who really has brought this on himself. His own choices have brought him to this place. But there's, a, there's this period here of, of relatively of relative peace and David is back in the, in the palace again. And, and so here, here is Saul's life. It's like Saul's life was up and then it was down and it was up and then it was down. And, 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 and the, and the gap between the two were so far apart. You know, um, God is not intended for us to live our Christian lives like this. Now we're going to have our ups and downs in life. There's going to be circumstances in life that, that will make life feel like a roller coaster. You understand what I'm saying about that. But listen, your spiritual life is not supposed to be like this, like you're on again and then you're off again, on again and off again, up again and down again. That's not how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. But it will be lived that way if your focus is on yourself. 
And that, that's where David, I'm sorry, that's where King Saul was. His focus was on himself and he became very unpredictable. I mean, I, I can't imagine being one of his servants. I can't imagine, I can't even fathom being David and walking back in there and wondering, I wonder how, what kind of day he's got going on today. And, uh, and, he, and people are walking on eggshells, you know, we might say around him. Um, hey, listen, is this making sense right here? I, I think it'd be good for us all to consider, do people walk around on eggshells when they're around me? You say, well, you know, I mean, that's just my personality. It's just how I am. Uh, well, you need to change. You need to let God change you. You say, well, it's just, it's, it's my personality. So does that mean that everybody has to like adjust for your personality? That doesn't make sense. You say, well, it's just my nationality. Well, we all have the same nationality. We all trace back to Adam. And that's our problem. So you can't use your nationality. You can't use your personality. You can't use the color of your hair. You, you can't use... You can't use your family. Well, that's, that's just our family. That's just how we are. Um, Jonathan wasn't that way. And yet his dad was a, was, was a javelin throwing crazy man. But Jonathan was not that way. Hey, look, and until you get to the place where you stop giving yourself an excuse, your life is going to be all over the place and people are not going not to want to be around you because they don't, they don't know what kind of day you're having. How about this? How about you just get things right with God, that you recognize where you've been wrong, that you repent, and then you have a peaceful soul. I said, then you, you have a peaceful soul. I mean, it really doesn't work that way. Saul had sinned. He knew what God's will was, and he, he did not repent. You remember that when Samuel came to him, and, he, and Samuel came and said, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? Why, why do I hear sheep? All the sheep were supposed to be slaughtered there of the Amalekites, and Amalekites rather, and, and, and Saul says, hey, I've obeyed the Lord. I've obeyed the Lord. And so that is why in our text here, I just wanted to deal with this here before we, we moved on. That's why in our text that the Bible says that an evil spirit came upon, upon Saul from the Lord. Now, now look, I, I know that we've covered this before, but I, we've got a lot of new people here tonight. So I think this would be worth this deal with this. That doesn't mean that God sent a demonic being to trouble Saul. No, God is not the author of evil and he's not going to send evil. Now, there are times God allows Satan, like in the case of Job, I understand that, but that's not what's going on here. An evil spirit can mean this. It can be a moral evil, but, but it can also mean this, a spirit or an attitude or, or a spirit, rather, that, that causes trouble. In fact, it really is quite simple to deal with. If you just look back in your Bibles at chapter 16 and verse number 14, it says that the spirit was sent from the Lord to trouble Saul. Now, let me ask you a question. Who really troubled Saul? Saul. You, you know what this is telling us? God will not allow you to live successfully in your sin. He, won't, he will not allow his children to successfully live peacefully in rebellion. He won't do it. He, he, if you are in an un, unrepentant state, you, you know that you're not living right and you're living in, in a, with a lack of repentance, then you cannot expect that your life would be joyful. 
You'll have moments of happiness. You'll have moments of, uh, of just being glad about things that are going on. But you cannot pillow your head at night if you're not being repentant. It just doesn't work that way. We, we never see anywhere in the Bible that you see they sinned, they didn't repent, and the result was joy. Everybody following that? It doesn't work that way. Here's what we over and over see, that we see, the way of the transgressor is hard. We see that if you sin and you live without repentance, you're uneasy. There's a lack of joy. There's turmoil. There's a troubled soul that's there. You know what would be real good for you right here? To say, God, I know that I've sinned. I've been wrong in the way that I've been looking at life. Lord, would you help me? I'm telling you, that's where you come to peace. Saul just had moments where everything was all right. But there he is sitting on his throne again, and David has been off fighting the battles again, and, and maybe that song is just echoing in Saul's mind. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And so he's just sitting there with a javelin in his hand. You know, he's a really insecure man to sit with a javelin in his hand in the safety of his palace. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's in one of the, the strongest nations at that time in that area upon the earth. And here he is sitting in on his throne with a javelin in his hand. It'd be like you sitting at home with a, with a 44 cocked and ready to blow somebody away. Well, that's kind of violent, but I mean, that's really... Okay, I just woke some of you up, I think, here. I mean, it's really what, what Saul's doing. Man, he just can't take anymore. And, and here, here's this individual named David that's only trying to be a help to Saul. And Saul says, Phew. You know, but if you're not right with God, you may not take it out on somebody physically, but you might shoot words their way. You might try to make them look bad. You're, you're in one of the two positions tonight, either in the spot of Saul or in the spot of David. I'm sure every one of us is thinking right. We'd say, you know, I, I want to live my life like David. I don't want to live an erratic life like Saul, irrational life like Saul. I don't want to live a self-centered, proud, egotistical, arrogant life like Saul lived. God, deliver us from pride and selfishness and self-centeredness. God, deliver us from, from flying off the handle and being angry. And, and if that describes you here tonight, then, then here's what you need to do. You need to recognize it as sin and repent and let God bring peace to your soul. David fled and escaped. David fled and escaped. I mean, so far, I mean, everything that Saul has tried has just come to no, to no end. I mean, it, it's come to not the desired goal that he had in trying to take David out. And, and so now David escapes, but, but he knows that David is going home. So what he does is he, he sends his men to hide out and to wait for when David would leave the house the next day. And then they were supposed to take him out, either that or they were to take him back to Saul. I, I tend to think that, that Saul even wanted to take him out himself. What twisted thinking here. Well, Michael says, David, if you don't, if you don't leave here, then by morning you're going to be dead. And so they, they come up with this plan. I mean, really, it, gets, it, it, it just shows even just the impact that Saul's lack of a spiritual life has had even on his own daughter because she has a, a teraphim, which is, which is an idol. 
it'd be a rather large. I mean, if she's putting it in the bed and it looks like a human body, then it's a pretty good size idol that she takes and puts the covers over it and takes the goat hair. I mean, that, that's a bad hair night. But anyways, uh, he takes the goat's hair and puts it there, you know, to make it look like David is asleep. And, and, and the men come and they say, we're here to, to take David. And, and, and she says, I'm sorry, but he's sick. And, and they, they don't fuss with her. They just go back and and probably because she was a king's daughter, they didn't think to say, well, you're lying to us. And they probably thought that, but they couldn't prove it. And so they just moved on. And, and so they went and told Saul and said, listen, he's sick. Can we wait till he's well? Then we'll kill him. And so anyways, he says, I don't care if he's sick. You go in there and you get the bed and you carry it to me. And we'll kill him right there. I mean, this man is out of his mind. That's what sin will do to you. Is, it, is everybody listening to this here tonight? That's what sin will do to you. It'll make you get out of your mind. You make irrational decisions when you're thinking about yourself like that. He says, we want to, we want to bring him here. So they go in there and, and, and they start to move. <laughs> I don't know how it was. They start to move the bed and then the head rolls off. They go back and they tell Saul what happens and he brings Michael into his presence and says, why have you lied to me? She learned it from somewhere, didn't she? She says, well, dad, he was threatening me. He was going to kill me if I didn't help him escape. So that's why I did what I did. So, so anyways, but the, really the point is really quite simple this way. Saul thought to kill David and had a cabinet meeting about him, but God delivered him using Jonathan. Then he thought, I'm just going to peg him to the wall again with my javelin, and he missed again. And then he tried to kill him the next morning with his men and, and, and his own daughter. I mean, the king's own daughter foiled his own plan. And so now it comes to the point where Saul says, all right, let's send, let's send a military company against this man. And so he sends a unit out, and they get down the road, and they come to Ramah or Naoth, which would probably be like a really would have been like a school of prophets or a Bible college type setting where they were learning to do ministry. And when it says here that they were prophesying, it just simply means this, that they were probably preaching or, or, or uh, it was practice preaching day. I don't know, but they were, they were lifting up their voice. Maybe they were praising the Lord. And, and so here are these men of Saul that are sent to, to take David back to Saul and, and to kill him, and they make their journey there. And the next thing you know, they get there in the presence of Samuel and the presence of all those prophets, and they lift up their hand and start praising the Lord and, and preaching it down. <laughs> I don't know what this looked like, but I sure would have liked to have seen a clip of this, wouldn't you? As they, they got after it, man, they were preaching and, and prophesying. And, and so word got back to Saul. Saul, you know that unit that you sent? They've had revival. And now they're preaching. Well, let's send out another unit. He sends out another unit and the same thing happens. They get there and they get under the, under the Spirit's influence and they get to preaching and prophesying and, and carrying on. And that same guy goes back and says, Saul, you're not going to believe this. But that other group, they also got revival and now they're preaching. Let's send another unit out. And so they send another unit out and the same thing happens three different times. The Spirit of God so overpowers them that what they thought to do by way of harm, God turned it into good. Well, that just right there shows you just how great and powerful our God is and that he could overpower anybody. He doesn't, he doesn't often do that, but I think about when Balaam was there and he was gonna curse Israel, where every time he went to curse Israel, God made him bless them. That's our God. 
Our God can make a, a, a false prophet preach the truth about Israel. Our God can cause a donkey to speak. Our God can cause three Hebrew children to be walking in the midst of a fire and yet there'll be a fourth man there and the king says, hey, somebody take a count. I think we put three in, but I'm seeing four. Somebody else look in there and they say, one, two, three, hang, hold still. They're jumping around and having a great time. Looks like they're having a revival in there and they're having a great time. Wait, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. There's four in there. Didn't we throw in three? Yes, that's right, king. Call them out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, come hither. And they didn't even smell like smoke. You know why? Because there's a greater king than Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a greater king than Herod. And there's a greater king than all the other kings that have ever ruled. There's a greater king than Pharaoh. There's a greater king than, than those that thought to shut the gospel down. I'm just simply saying to you today, whatever man has done to try to stop God, God has a way of overpowering man. So Saul says, I better take care of this myself. And he makes his way down there to, to Naoth of Ramah. And while he's on his way, I mean, he, he doesn't even get within the sound of the singing. He doesn't even get within the sound of the preaching. And he's on his way and he starts preaching it up on the way. <laughs> and then he preaches all night long, prophesies all night long. The Bible says that, that, that he took off his clothes. Now, I, I, I don't think that this just means he was there without anything on. I think he, it was like he took off the, this is quite significant. He probably took off the royal robes. Right. Why is that significant? Well, God had already said, Saul, your days are done. You're no longer king. And he was walking around strutting and acting like he was king. But God... God showed him in a very clear way, you no longer have the royal robes. And God caused him to lay flat of his back day and night and preach and talk about how good God was. Whatever else, I don't know what, if he had a three points in a poem or what kind of a sermon that he had, but it was a long one. It was a 24-hour sermon. As far as I know, that's a record in the Bible for preaching, and it came from somebody like Saul. Isn't that amazing? But, but the thing that God was showing right there is that, Saul, you can act like you're in control, but you're not really in control because I'm still in control. And he derobed him of his royal arraignment and showed him that he's no longer king. He's reminding him, you may be trying to take out David, but you're not going to be able to take out David because I'm going to take his shepherd clothing and I'm going to exchange it for royal garments and he's going to become the king of Israel whether you like it or not Saul. You know why? Because there's a greater king than Saul. There's a greater king. You've got an enemy that wants to bring your life to an end. I mean actually it's that serious. And if he can't bring your life to an end, he sure would like to ruin your testimony. Who, who, does, who does Satan, I don't think I have to spend time tonight showing us that we have an enemy, a real, a real enemy in the person of Satan, who like with Peter, Jesus said, he wants to sift you like wheat. And like Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a walk, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come, Jesus said, that they might have life. And so many other passages point out that we have a real enemy. And I, I, don't, I want you to be mindful tonight or aware of this very fact that the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. And he'll do everything he can to destroy your marriage. 
Are you listening to this here tonight? He'll do everything he can to destroy your, your marriage. He'll do everything he can to destroy your family. He'll do everything he can to destroy the relationship between you and your, and your kids or you and your grandkids. He'll do everything he can to destroy this church. He may come at it from this angle and then from this angle and then he'll send this group and that group and that group and, and he'll, he'll try this and he'll say that and he'll, he'll work this way and then that way. I'm telling you, you better wake up tonight. Every one of us better be awake to the fact that we've got a real enemy that wants to take you, take you out to get you out of church, to get you out of God's will. You've got God's call on your life. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. You're called to be holy. You're, called, you're naming the name of Christ if you tonight name the name that's above every name, he's got a mark on you. He doesn't care who you are. Doesn't care what the name of this church is. Doesn't care what your last name is. Doesn't care how long you've been in this church. He wants to take you out. I made a list of individuals I think that Satan is targeting, not, not by name but by groups. Those that name the name of Christ, churches that are indeed his churches. Do you think the enemy wants to give us any kind of a buy just because we're a Southwest Baptist church? Your Christian marriage, your Christian family, those that grew up in broken homes, those that have a broken home right now, he wants to cause you to be bitter towards your parents. I think he's got a target tonight on those that have grown up in this church. You listen to me. I think he's against new Christians, don't you? The enemy moves that way. The world is adversarial to the new Christian. Love for you to get caught up in some kind of a cult somewhere. Love for you to get disappointed in what it means to be a believer and say, well, the people down there at that church are no different than anybody else get you disillusioned. Tonight, if you're a believer that's kind of gotten away from God and you're kind of on the fringe, you're a prime target. You've watched those documentaries where the lion or the cheetah or whatever it may be is going to go after the ones that's kind of out there on their own. I believe he wants to take out those that are serving in the ministry. Bring you down through discouragement, through criticism, or through sinful choices. If you're a pastor's child tonight, or a staff member's child tonight, or a missionary's kid tonight, I think he's got a target on you. No doubt about it. If you're a missionary tonight, I think he's got a target on you. Christian workers here tonight, Christian employees, some of you taking a stand at work, and, and it's just like javelins are coming your way, and he's trying to discourage you, faithful Christians. But I want to encourage you here tonight with this. If you're in God's will, you have nothing to fear. Because there's a greater king. I read here just recently of a missionary lady that was in the Congo many years ago, and she was literally suffering for her stand for Christ. And, and, and at first, she kind of got bitter towards how things were going. You know, I think it'd be easy for David to get bitter, don't you? I think, man, I can't believe this. Here I am trying to help Saul. And all he's done is just throw these javelins at me. And all he's done is tried to kill me over and over again. You know, I'm tired of this. 
I'm glad he didn't get that spirit and attitude. She said it was very tempting when all this began to happen to think that, you know, God had failed her. But then she realized, wait a minute, God had not failed her. And she said that it was almost like the Lord just said to her, these are not your sufferings, these are my sufferings. You're suffering for my name. And since you're suffering for my name, then really it's him suffering, not you. Like it was with Saul. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I, uh, I like this quote by a man named Dale Davis. He said this, God will keep me until whatever he has ordained for me to be or to do is accomplished. What are, I, he's going to protect me. He's going to keep me. I don't have to really worry about it. I, he's going to keep me until what he has planned for me is accomplished. And he, he, also, he also said this, sometimes the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is not that you're successfully past your trial, but that you're still on your feet in the middle of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth and forever. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. I give unto them, Jesus said, eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, oh, hey, listen, listen, folks, listen how safe we are here tonight if you're saved. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil, Jesus prayed. Paul wrote, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He also wrote this to the Philippians who were under persecution and they were trying to get them to be silent about the gospel. Much like it is today, the world trying to get us to be silent about the gospel. But he said this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this, who are kept about believers, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Jude wrote this, he said, now unto him that is able, now unto to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with before his glory with exceeding joy. You know what all these men are saying? They're saying this, there's a king that you serve that's greater than any king. There's a, there's a God that you're serving that's greater than any circumstance. You, you may be under pressure. There may be javelins flying your way. There may be all kinds of things going on around you, friend. But listen, if you know God and you're trusting him and you're serving him, then you can trust him that over and over again, you'll see God deliver you because he's able to deliver You're protected tonight by a greater king. I want to thank God tonight that this church and your life and your family is protected by the highest one. And he'll take care of you through the storm. Father, thank you tonight. As I got into the study of this passage, I was encouraged just to see how that though the enemy tried to derail you, even your plan, Lord, you showed yourself strong in behalf of those that trusted you. 
And God, if you did it then, then I know that you can do it now. And so, Lord, even right here tonight, there may be some that are overwhelmed. Maybe even a situation similar to what David was, maybe not directly, but maybe dealing with a difficult situation or a difficult person or, or a difficult uh, scenario involving people. And, and God, I pray that you'd help us to position ourselves like David and just to trust you. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're able to protect us. You can even protect us from ourselves. Dear God, I pray tonight that you bless in this invitation time and help us to, to come and to trust you. Dear Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight.